Hey, hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kenneth Wilson. And welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Yeah. Let's get down to business and talk some Miami heat. Well, we're still in the offseason. We are going to touch on the entire Eastern Conference and the, and the moves they've made so far. And later in the show, we can talk a bit about our young guys and the summer league that's been going on that started yesterday. Today, we're recording on August 9th. The yep, summer yep. league started a couple of days ago. Well, the Vegas summer league, you know, we had the California Classic and the Utah portion go on earlier August. But yeah, the Vegas portion started at the top of the week there, just to kind of make sure everybody's on the same page, not stepping on your toes, there, partner. Yeah, but Vegas is the main. It's the main event. That's where that's where the sports business classroom takes place, which I had the privilege of attending last year, although it was in the virtual okay, manner, okay. in a virtual manner due to the pandemic. But I hope to be there next next year, and yeah. Well, you tell that to old, you tell that to Omer Yetzevin, Yetzevin because he he um he treated the California Classic like a real deal. In fact, a real enough deal to land a standard deal. But that's you know I don't want to step on our toes. We'll get to that as well. I was just kind of saying, man, don't minimize you know what can be done in Utah and California. I mean, Las Vegas is the one because it's Las Vegas. You know what though? That actually made me think about it. They kind of like told Orlando to kiss their butt this year, huh? Wow. Florida's Florida's the epicenter, though. Florida probably is the epicenter right now, so you want to stay out of Florida, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I just thought about that, though, when you mentioned all that. Well, except for all the free agents that came to Miami, so those guys are definitely not staying out of Florida. Hey, but, hey, 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 anyway. hey, man. Don't you do that. Don't you do that, JJ. Don't you, don't you start an uproar. You know they already want our heads. They say we're tampering out here, JJ. Nah, Adam. Well, what you're gonna forfeit? This is to Adam Silver. You're gonna forfeit our draft picks. Guess what? We don't have any draft picks. So and don't with care that. about them. And don't care. Take them. What Pat Riley? I seen a tweet that said, "What Pat Riley's gonna send Alonzo Morning cell phone?" <laughs> right, right. So anyway, let's start with let's discuss the moves that the that the entire Eastern Conference did, and how our Miami Heat stack up. We're going to start in alphabetical order, right? So we're going to go with the Atlanta Hawks. Well, would you would you want to start in alphabetical order? Or would you kind of want to go in tiers of the conference the way that it finished last season as far as the playoff season? How would you want to do it? I mean, it's your call, bro. I'm just, you know, trying to keep it organized here. I think I think we should – you know what? You're right. I think we should go with the, with the tiered list. So let's start okay. with the tiers, the top tiers. In that case, your first four seeds or your top four seeds from last year would be Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and New York. Let's take a look at what Philly did. Right. So Philly, 
they're still in the midst of the Ben Simmons controversy, which doesn't seem to have a resolution coming anytime soon. And you know, their moves were they their moves were fine, I guess. They, they didn't exactly set the world on fire. They resi- they resigned Danny Green, brought back George Hill for a second stint with the team. They brought in George George Niang from the Utah Jazz. Andre Drummond, who Joel Embiid owns a big. Joel Embiid has some really good real estate on his head. <laughs> I'm so sorry, basically, but, you're saying that he lives rent free in in Andre Drummond's mind. And on top of that, he gets to back up the same man who basically called him a bum. So, but I don't know, man. Uh, I know you saw the welcome video where Andre Drummond um, kind of like gave him the little dap hug in the weight room. I didn't see it actually, but I well, I've seen people talk about it, but I haven't seen it. Although I will say, I mean, you, you know, go ahead. I don't want to get into a whole discussion about manhood and stuff. But if a guy calls me a bum, I'm not gonna be his backup. Hey, listen, man, you've already you've answered the question by by accepting the role as his backup, but. If you just see the way that Joel looked at him, like kind of rolled his eyes, like this guy. Now he wanted to dap hug me. This guy. That's how I took it. That's how I felt. But to each his own, man. Um, like you said, man, Philly didn't really set the world on fire. I think that a lot of what Philly has going on or what they're gonna look to do, quote unquote, majorly, totally revolves around Ben Simmons. If they and of course you're hearing um a lot of things. I actually saw this morning where it says Sacramento is maybe, you know, uh, interested in pairing Ben Simmons and Pascal Siakam up because they, you know, pressure to win and all of that. And, of course, you hear a lot of Dame and Ben Simmons chatter. But I think most of Philly's major moves um, are going to center around anything or something that they may can get done for Ben. And I'm not absolutely sure that that's a deal that gets done this offseason either. So, um, you know, there's that. Like you said, they didn't really set the world on fire. And they kind of been held hostage by that whole situation, a situation I'm not sure will solve itself at any point this offseason. So we may find ourselves going into next season um, to the trade deadline, possibly beyond that and further, depending on how things go. Um, with Ben Simmons still being on the Philadelphia 76ers, them not really improving um, as far as making additions to their roster and just kind of, you know, being held by the by the short and curlies by that whole situation. What say you, JJ? First, I want to address something I erroneously mentioned that George Hill went back to Philly. He actually went back to Milwaukee for a second stint with the team. That's I, I got confused there. I didn't say anything because I didn't know if you had seen something that I didn't. But you know what I mean? I, I couldn't confirm that. I would have waited till we got to the Milwaukee portion of the show to bring that back up. But you already correct yourself. It's not you know our job to try to shine on you. Just, you know, wanted to make sure we were correct. I didn't know for sure, but I'm glad you corrected that one because I was questioning it myself. Yeah. So, anyway, what uh, I'm about to say, of the top of the... We're on Philly. On Philly. Yeah, we're on Philly. But I, 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 want, I, wanted to, I wanted to mention something. Of the top teams last season, the, of the top tier, the first four seeds, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly, and New York. New York is an obvious candidate for regression, but I do think that Philly, they largely stayed the same. And I'm curious to see if they, it all hinges on the Ben Simmons thing, as you mentioned. 
And you made an interesting point. Roster-wise, they did stay the same, but mentally and development from a chemistry perspective, a strong case can be made that they took a step back. So as far as that regression you spoke of, and I know it was in relation to the Knicks, I, uh, if you're saying or if you're getting to eventually that Philadelphia is just as strong a candidate for regression here, then I totally agree with you because they didn't really make any improvements roster-wise, but from a team chemistry development proof of winning, we have seen ourselves do such. Um, they took a step back, I think. Exactly. Although, you know, when you have a, a player when he's at this absolute peak playing on fire, he's a, border, he's a borderline top five player, you always have a chance, as you have mentioned previously on multiple Absolutely. episodes here. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. However, that's not always the case with Joel with Joel Embiid, who's we're who we're talking about. And we've talked about that. That's the only thing that keeps the guy from being a top five, three, four, five guy in the game is that he can't stay healthy. Because if he were healthy, we won't even say 82. If he were healthy for 75 games a year, every year consistently, he's a top three, four, five guy in the league or better. Three, four, five for sure, though. Right. And, you know, there you always got to take into account games that he will probably miss. As unfortunate as it is, he almost always ends up missing some chunk of games at some point in the season. He's a seven footer with with an inj- an extensive injury history uh, on his on his lower body, and those tend to go on for the rest of their careers. That's how it usually goes. Now, on to you want to talk about Brooklyn or Milwaukee first, Kenneth? Uh, Brooklyn was number two, so let's go ahead and give them the credit of. Uh... You know, being the second team, we talk about the Heat demolishing. Okay, then. Brooklyn, they had a really, I I say that they had a pretty solid offseason. Spencer Dinwiddie departed to the Wizards, but we all expected that. You know, the, he really didn't make sense on that roster. They already have three elite, and I mean elite ball handlers. So, might as well try to get something for, for him. Definitely redundancy. Definitely redundancy. I mean, he was a ball handler, but at the same time, he's not, of course, not at the level of James Harden, but he operates very similarly to the way James James Harden operates. He's not a true point, not a true shooter, more of a I can score when I want to, but I'm such a good playmaker that I'm just, you know, a baller. So, no, I I mean, I completely agree. Um, In theory, just the operation, it was redundant. So totally appropriate to move him. Exactly. So he departed to the Washington Wizards, who I'm really intrigued by, but we're going to touch on them later in the show. They signed Patty Mills to their to be their lead bench guard, which I find to be a fascinating signing. He's a really good shooter, guy that can handle the ball for a bit there. And you're always going to have one of the three main guys on the floor at the same time. So your bench unit isn't exactly a full-fledged bench unit. Unless, of course, you're in the middle of a blowout. They lost Jeff Green to the Denver Nuggets, who I thought that was a fantastic signing for the Nuggets that we mentioned in the previous episode. Bruce Brown returned, signing his qualifying offer. He's going to kick the tires again on on free agency. And James Johnson came to Brooklyn as well. Blake Griffin stayed. DeAndre Bembry came from the Raptors over to Brooklyn. And Tyler Johnson is still a free agent. So... 
we'll see how the new look nets perform in the coming season after the break we're going to discuss a bit more of how the the nets bench is going to look like and how it compares to the rest of the title contenders around the league so stick around for more 305 culture talk Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. And we're back. So we were talking about the Brooklyn Nets and their revamped bench. Kenneth, what are your quick thoughts on the on the Brooklyn bench? To recap, they brought they brought in Patty Mills and James Johnson as part of their notable additions. So what do you have to say about that? I really like DeAndre Bembry. I think he adds something to every team he goes to. He's played in Atlanta, played a little bit in Toronto. He's one of those do everything, get the rebound, make the hustle play, make the steal, dive on the ground for the loose ball kind of guy. Um, as you mentioned, James Johnson, um, he's a Miami Heat guy, culture guy. So I really like what he brings as far as toughness, um, versatility, a little bit of ability to do everything. Patrick Mills is a shooter. Um, you had to bring Bruce Brown back because he was like, arguably a do-everything utility knife. I mean, Blake Griffin comes back on a one-year deal, I guess. I I like what they did because they got guys that can definitely help and make an impact with the amount of space and money that they had, but they didn't really do anything that moves the needle either. They did more than Philly, but not much more. I mean, how, how, how much can you move the needle when you have Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving? It's not really about those moves, man. When you got those three guys, it's just about plugging the right holes, man, striking the right chords. So at the end of the day, regardless of, you know, what they did, it's going to be tough to beat those guys because of the guys at the top. What say you on the whole situation? I think they're going to be... It all depends on their health. Kevin Durant looked very healthy during his Olympic run after missing a chunk of games to start in the middle of the season due to a hamstring issue. Kyrie Irving, he twisted his ankle in the playoffs. He never, he didn't return. James Harden had a hamstring issue as well in the playoffs. They smoked. The, they they beat the Celtics in the first round. They lost to the to the Bucks in seven due to Kevin Durant having oversized feet. But yeah, these are these are the guys to beat, in my opinion, in the entire NBA. I mean, the Lakers made a, a flurry of moves, but those three guys on the same team and the, and the additions that they made, I think, were pretty good. Really curious to see how their starting lineup looks come opening night. You know, opening night lineups change massively compared to the playoff because you know in the playoffs it's all about matchups and stuff but could we see them go trot out a Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, James Johnson, Blake Griffin lineup that would be that would be interesting to see because that you would double down on size um excuse me on speed you would go you're basically that's the ultimate small ball lineup i think right or do you think that? I mean, it, uh, oh, I mean, are, we're talking KD as your lone big. James Johnson's a pretty big guy, as well as Blake. I mean, yeah, but he's he's a three. He's a guy that is a he's a. Ooh, I mean, because yeah, I guess James Johnson is your is a big, 
because he's a power forward in today's league. But I'm just saying, as far as like, I'll put it to you like this. Nobody's going to not attack the rim because James Johnson's down there. You know what I mean? Defense is an afterthought with this team. Nobody can nobody can can keep right. up with you but on even, the other end. Nobody. I understand. But what I mean by that is even if you're gonna be like seeds, a sponge, like full of holes, you at least want somebody that can make the team think about like, okay, he may block my shot if we get all the way to the rim. Even if you're like terribly defensively, you have some sort of rim protection. And I I mean, hey look, man, again, you you're hitting on it. When you have that much firepower on the other side, who cares what you're going to do on the other side? So I guess because if you have KD as your big man or pseudo big man, then your offense is so potent and lethal because nobody can match up with you. You're always a matchup problem. Exactly. All the time. The only problem they would have was were the same problems that we all thought they would have these playoffs, which they kind of did. They don't have anybody to fully commit to the assignment of Giannis, Joel Embiid, and maybe Bam if they face him in the playoffs. So I guess, although Blake Griffin sometimes did a pretty good job of staying in front of Giannis, but at the end of the day, it's, he's Giannis. I think that's what the James Johnson edition was for, too. When you think James Johnson and Blake Griffin, between those two guys, you're going to have somebody to throw on the elite forwards. And then when you think about your Bimberries and your Bruce Browns, you're going to have somebody to, you know what I mean, throw on the elite guards. Because actually, now that you put it that way, at this point, Blake and James Johnson, they're like, you know, forward stoppers or guys that are big, physical, and versatile, but can move a little bit. Um, whereas in Bembry and Bruce Brown are just big, long, extended guard wings. So that's kind of exactly what they did. They have all their offense. Um, and they just went out and got guys who they could throw on guys to kind of like be stoppers or neutralizers at best. Because you're not going to stop guys like Giannis or Joel Embiid, but you just hope that you can keep them from totally obliterating you. So final thoughts. We're wrapping up here on, on Brooklyn. Are they the championship favorites? I say yes. What say you? I, I think they have to be because of the three guys that we talked about. They have to be. Simply because, you know, those three guys. But just like last year, can they be beat? Absolutely. Do they terrify me no they don't give me like big three miami heat vibes at all or 2017 warriors so you know i'm i'm not even sure if it's that strong bro like they don't they don't terrify me like they should be the favorites because of who's on their roster because we know their resume because we know what these three guys can do at their peaks but they don't terrify me i don't know why i think they're the team to beat at least for the next two seasons kevin durant by the way committed to a four-year extension worth, I believe, 190-something million around that. Give or take, close, a whole lot of money. It, I mean, it's not like I expected him to leave next season, but it's good to have the best player in the world locked up for the, the next few seasons. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, the next guy might have a little something to say about the best player in the world, but I agree with you. Kevin Durant is the best player in the world. But speaking of the guy who might have a little something to say, Milwaukee, what did they do here in free agency? Milwaukee, they lost P.J. Tucker to our very own Miami Heat. Bobby Portis came back on a really, really team-friendly deal. I mean, 
a questionable deal. Bobby could have made, he got 8.9 for two years. Bobby could have made more than 9 million per year annually. I know he could have got 11 a year so. minimum. And I, I know think he it could've. was reported that I don't understand. he was offered around those amounts of money, I guess. The Heat made him an offer. I don't know. Oh, yeah. The Heat, the Heat probably offered him at least nine a year. But I heard that, too, that the Heat actually tried to get him. Because, I mean, if you think about it, Markeith, Markeith Morris and P.J. Tucker, if you can get Bobby Portis, you'll take him above both of those and then bring in the one that you can get after you get Bobby. You know what I mean? Like, if you get Bobby, you then see if P.J. will take five or six. And if he won't, you then throw three or four at Markeith. You know what I mean? I was surprised that Milwaukee let P.J. Tucker go. Again, a fair deal for P.J. Tucker. It was basically It's basically a two-year deal with a player believe has a player option for the second year worth $14 million. Bobby got $4 million, almost 4.5 per season. I can't believe I he took that. And I think that's what it was, man. They probably prioritized Bobby. And then once he took less than PJ would take, it was a no-brainer for them. Because, I mean, like I said, they probably prioritized him anyway. And like I said, once he took – I mean, that is so mind-blowing, bro. And – Let's just be honest. Bobby Port is 26. So by the time this deal's over, he's going to be 28, still right in the, you know, crux of his prime or whatever. But it's just like he shot himself in the foot by like $20 million here. And I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm that good of a man. Whatever makes a man happy. Right. So that's why, and that's exactly why I framed it that way. Because it's a pure happiness thing. And he clearly loves Milwaukee. But again, I don't know if I'm that good of a man to leave 20 mil on the table. I don't care how good the place is or how much I like it. It's not. I'm. I'm pretty sure that Miami is not a bad place to live, as well. So, anyway, I mean though. But anyway, so you got Bobby Portis to re up again for peanuts. I mean, I'm sorry, Bobby. You're just worth more than that crazy eyes. They brought in Rodney Hood. I'm on a one year deal. Semi Ojale from Boston, and as you mentioned earlier, George Hill. He's back in Milwaukee on a two year deal. So. What do you think as far as Milwaukee? Did, did, are they in the same you know, boat as Philly and Brooklyn? Well, or I think what, what do you think? not in the same boat as Philly because I think they're superior to Philly. So, I do too. So I, even I do think too. Their additions were, I even think their additions were, even though they were you know, bringing Bobby back, um, I think that was super important right, to what they right. did. I entered the, the offseason with the expectation that they were going to lose Bobby Portis and they were going to have to address that probably in the middle of the season with whoever became available. But now that he came back at such a discount, their only hole is the P.J. Tucker hole, which is their stopper. So who's going to fill that stopper role for them? Could it be Portis? Right. Well, they will see. Here's the thing, though. If you look at who else they brought in, they brought in Simi Ojale. Simi Ojale is a P.J. Tucker type. Just to be quite frank, he's not as good as PJ though. I don't know that he's not as well traveled. He's not as quote unquote legendary. He's not as rapper, rep, you know, reputation. Whoa, I'm having a moment here. He's not his reputation precedes himself as PJ might be on that end of the ball, and you know, knowing what PJ brings from his track record. But I will argue in a similar role. Um, Simi Ojale could be just as successful, if not more successful. He's more physically gifted than PJ is. Bigger, more athletic, just more mass, but he's able to move the same way. So I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how much of a drop-off, if any, that is because 
typically you'll throw P.J.'s ability to knock down the corner three in there, but he didn't really shoot it that well for Milwaukee either. So from a defensive overall game, being a physical presence, you know, making stops on their wings and fours kind of guy, I think they kind of feel that whole admirably Listen, there. At the risk of, of sounding like I'm talking out of my behind, I don't watch the Celtics a lot, one, because we uh, in this house we are not Celtics fans. Very clearly, we... Understandable. Don't take my fan card. Don't take my fan card because I haven't watched that much. We I don't just like know. the Celtics around here. However, I'm, I'm cool with the Jays. Jason and, and Jalen, they're pretty cool guys. I, lo- I they're they're cool. However, Celtics Twitter couldn't get couldn't wait to get rid of Semi Ojale. And the fact that he only signed a minimum deal that probably speaks to how he's regarded around the league. I'm not gonna say anything about it because I didn't watch him up close you know i only watched him when he played miami or whenever miami wasn't playing that night and i happened to catch a a game that featured the celtics and he was playing i don't know i think i would i would rather take pj right now but anyway I, i i don't disagree with you at all but i'll offer you this bro as a miami heat fan you know better than anybody that what you're doing how you're doing it, who's telling you to do it, who you're doing it beside, and the expectations in doing that are as much a part of any player's performance or any player's worth, value, whatever, than anything. And I'll offer you this. Dwayne Demon sat at home most of the year last year. He comes and he plays less than 20 games with us, and now everybody should look at Dwayne Demon as a big man in the offseason. I say that to say this. If you go in and you do your role on a team that has a certain level of success, then the people that actually don't know what they're looking at may start to realize it. So I put it to you like this. Those same fans that you say couldn't wait to get Semi Ojale off their team, when they now see the responsibilities that Jason Tatum had to take on, and when they see that hole in that physicality, and on the other end, see Semi Ojale properly filling that P.J. Tucker, guarding the best defensive player, making key stops for the Bucks role that he'll probably fill for them, then they'll realize that they didn't know what the hell they were looking at. But I digress. We can move on to uh, the number four seed, New York Let's Knicks. move on to the Knicks very quickly. I think the Bucks and the Nets are on a different plane in the, diff- in the Eastern Conference. It's them and the rest of the guys, even our own team. I love my team. I think our team can beat any of those two teams if everything breaks right. I, I disagree with that, man. If you want to stick there and just see how we match up against the top tier real quick before we move on. Again, as we said, Philly probably takes a step back because development and team chemistry-wise. As far as Milwaukee goes, man, I think that the, the difference between the team that sent us home in a first-round sweep um, and the team that we destroyed in the bubble was Drew Holiday. I think that Cal Laurie and what he gives us counteracts that enough so that now we're back on equal playing. I don't think that the Bucks are as good as they are at their best, which is beating us in sweeping fashion, but I don't think they are as bad as they are at their worst, which is losing to us like they did in the bubble. I think that the reality is somewhere in the middle. So I think we're a truly equitable team, and with the additions we've made, I think we have just as good a shot as anybody to knock the Bucks off the top of the mantle next year again. When you're talking Brooklyn, they have three of the most talented players in the league. Three of the top 20 guys in the league play for Brooklyn. Let's just be honest. So they always have a shot. However, they have to stop you just like you have to stop them. Think about offense, man. That can always be beat. 
So when you're talking about a team who can get a shot at any given time they want to, like them, versus a team that can make a stop on any given body like us, it then comes down to being able to do the opposite thing. Can we play offense better than they can defend us? I think with Cal Laurie and the other additions we've made, we'll prove to be able to play offense better than Brooklyn will be able to defend us. And I think that could be the difference there. Also, you have to include the development of Bam, because finally, just finally, hopefully, I'm praying with everything in me that Bam will realize he's a great player and he should do more. All Bam has to do is shoot it. That's all he has to do. Even if they don't go in, the attention that he draws is going to be well worth it in the way to go to our team. So there are a lot of things going on there, but I think that once you take a step back and look at all of the additions and all of the renovations made around the conference, and especially here with this top tier of teams, no team is head and shoulders above the Miami Heat, especially with the addition of Cal Lord, because we had a team that was tough, capable, you know, defensive ability-wise, able to compete with anybody. Our thing for the last few seasons have always been offense. We have those segments of those, you know, runs where, well, not runs, but runs for the other team, those moments where it seems like we can't buy a bucket. We don't have a guy that can hit a shot to stop the bleeding because they'll key everything on Jimmy Butler, two or three guys, and then they'll beat Duncan up off of the DHO. Or we'll have those moments where we're on the wrong side of like a double-digit run. It'll be something like 12 to 1. 15 to 2, and that'll happen once or twice a game, and it never fails. But we have a guy now in Kyle Lowry who can stop that on his own. He's a three level guy who can get a shot at the basket from three and in the mid range when he wants to. His presence is only going to be able to increase the potency of Jimmy, Bam, and everything else they have around him. So I, unlike you, my friend, don't think that those other teams are head and shoulders above us. I believe that what Kyle Lowry does gives us just as much credence or credit to be a top team in the East as those other two. I guess that's a segue to move on to the New York Knicks, I guess. Did I say it? Did I say it or did I say it, JJ? The Knicks. Thank you, my friend. Knicks. Our 90s rival. Now in the mid-2000s, in the 2010s, it cooled off a bit. We got to give them their credit, though. The Knicks really proved something to me this year. They, they really showed me... Chutzpah, you know what I mean? Like kahunas, you know what I'm saying? So I, I'll give them a little golf clap there. Well, let's start with their, with the additions. Evan Fournier went from Boston to New York on a deal that eh, I wouldn't pay uh, have paid him that much. But again, as, as I was reading a piece the other day from, I will, from the other, from I think it was Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, who's excellent. I, of, I oftentimes read his work. He mentioned that New York, he wouldn't have paid that much to Evan Fournier, but when he thinks about it, if there were a star to become available, those deals handed out to Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier make it much easier to match those big salaries that those stars oftentimes have. So for instance, Evan Fournier got four years, $78 million. Might seem like a bit of an overpay for a guy that he, listen, he got co- he caught COVID when he, as soon as he arrived to the Celtics, so we got to cut him some slack there. Right, and I don't necessarily agree with you on the overpay, but go ahead and make your... But I think he's a bit, you know, he they need a shot creation, perimeter shot creation, because they everything, they were riding, they were running everything through Julius Randle, who had an excellent season last year, who also signed an extension this offseason, which we're, we're good, we can talk about later. 20 million per seems, well, you know... In this league, a lot of guys get those type of contracts. But Evan Fournier got 19 million, 19.5 per season. Derek Rose got 14.3. 
for three years, and he's 32 years old. Yeah. Nerlens Noel. I think, but but listen, the biggest. I'm, I'm, oh yeah, we talked about this. You know, this is a travesty. Go ahead, please. The biggest. I don't understand how we got head scratcher of all of these, and maybe the biggest head scratcher of the entire offseason. Nerlens Noel, three years for 32 million. Listen, listen, man. Listen, this is what I said when I saw that deal. Ko Kelly Olenek, shout out Ko, man. He legend, Kelly Olenek, man. He got three years and thirty-seven million from Detroit, Correct. right? And you say no, Nerl's Noel got how much? He got thirty-two mil for three years. So he got five million less than Kelly Olenek did over the same amount of time. That is correct. I don't understand it, bro. Kelly, Kelly need to go back. Kelly, Kelly got fleeced. If Nerl's Noel's worth thirty-two million over three years, Kelly got fleeced. Kelly, Kelly should have gotten probably a bit like forty something. And if, if if I'm I'm not saying that he's worth forty. What I'm saying, I think he's worth at least thirty-eight. But what I'm saying is, if Nerlens was able to get thirty-two, then you're right. Kelly should have gotten at least forty. I mean, like I don't get it. It's it's a relative thing. It's a you know comparison thing. But it's just like wow, so mind blowing. Shout out to Nerlens Noel though. Uh, you're happy for a man to get his money. Shout out to Nerlens Noel. Shout out to Nerlens Noel's agent. Absolutely, his bank account. You know what I mean. Great job by his agent. And the departures for the Knicks looks like they're not going to bring back Alfred Payton. Frank Nilakina is in doubt. But Reggie Bullock was the only like well, Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton were the only like two core rotational pieces that they lost. They lost Reggie Bullock to Dallas, three years, thirty million. So he got around ten million per season. Maybe next week when we when we talk about the Western Conference. Yeah, we'll do a little roundabout on the Western Conference because there's a lot of interesting storylines over there too. But yeah, we can touch on on the on Dallas as a whole next week because Dallas, I don't know, Dallas they had some questionable stuff. Alec Burks, three years, thirty. Good for him after battling injuries for a while there, and his NBA future seemed like in doubt for a bit. So he got ten million per season for three years. Good for him. And he and he played pretty well for the Knicks as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think they did right by the guys, man. When you speak of him and Derrick Rose, um, I think those are guys that are going to be good for them because they give them veteran scoring options, but they also give them other options they can go to other than Quigley and some of the other young guys that they have, man. But that is so where Fournier comes in at. I think Fournier is – he's a, he does a lot for you. First of all, let's talk about his numbers. Look, man, he was coming off a deal at 17 mil a year, five years – 85 mil um, at 17 mil a year. He only got a slight raise. To be frank, that was kind of the going rate. Like, he's a $20 million player. First of all, he's a guy who can be one of your main ball handlers. I mean, he's not going to be your quote-unquote point guard, but he can be one of your main ball handlers. Take the pressure off your guards. Before this season, as you mentioned, he came over from Orlando to Boston, but he's averaged 18, 17, and 19.7 points respectively in the three seasons prior to the last one, you know, for Orlando. And then he only averaged 13 points per game in the 16 games that he played for Boston. But he's a 20-point, you know, he's a near 20-point-a-game-per-night guy, you know, when he's going good. But here's the thing that really sets Evan Fournier apart. On six attempts, the man is shooting 47% from three when he got to Boston. If you just look at his total year, on 6.7 attempts, 
2020-21, the man is shooting 41.3%. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just saying, bro. Like, when the man's shooting nearly seven attempts per game and he's hitting almost half of them, and he's also averaging 20 points, and he also can play a little point guard for you, and he's also just so happened to be 6'7", and he's also not a complete defensive sieve. He's no defensive stopper, but he tries. I mean, that's a 20 million, you know, that's a 20 million per year guy if you ever saw one. I'll put it to you like this. What did Duncan get? 18. Well, the first, also, I, I, there was something interesting in the Duncan Robinson contract. I saw he's going to get paid 15 this season. Right. Oh, it's a definitely a building contract with an early termination option for him. So basically a fifth-year option, which we're going to talk about. But you said it, 18, right? Yes, around that number. Right? Right. Evan Fournier does more than Duncan Robinson does. And he's just as good a shooter, if not better, because he can shoot off different platforms. He doesn't need to come off a DHO. And Duncan doesn't need to either, but I believe that Evan Fournier can get off a shot in more ways than Duncan Robinson can. Just to kind of, and I believe Duncan is worth every dime he got. But just to kind of highlight, I also believe Fournier is worth every dime he got. Hmm. I guess we'll see. And finally, the quote-unquote big addition for the next this offseason Kimball Walker reached a contract buyout with the Oklahoma City Thunder after being traded by the Celtics. And he came over to New York. The hometown kid finally gets to play at Madison Square Garden where he's most famous for Cardiac Kemba. Cardiac Kemba. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's why I kind of set that up with the whole point guard. Evan Fournier, Alec Burks, Derrick Rose, Quigley. Let me ask you something, JJ. Do the Knicks have... Too many league guards? That's an interesting question for sure. Because now, I don't view exactly Alec Burks as a lead guard per se. Because in the second unit, Derrick Rose is the clear lead guard for that. I agree. But in order to get the best out of Alec Burks, you want him at the top operating with the ball as a playmaker or kind of like in that... You know what I mean? In that six-man Big Lou Will type thing where he's not really a point, he's not really a two, but he has the ball and dictate off of that, right? Isn't that where you're getting the best out of him? Yes. But if you want to play, if you want to get the best out of the team, he probably has to settle into the role of a secondary guard whenever Rose shares the floor with him. Also very, very no pun intended, but very quickly on Emmanuel Quickly. I see what you did there, JJ. I see what you did there. You couldn't get it out almost, but I see what you did. He's. Do you think he starts alongside Kimba this this season? Or do you leave him at the bench? Listen, man, before Kimba came aboard, I questioned whether he was the starter or not. And I still find myself asking that question. And I say that because... If you're the Knicks, do you want to try to get the most out of Kemba for as long as you can? And you know he's had injury, you know, problems across his career, and specifically over the last couple of years in Boston. Do you start quickly and just let Kemba play the most of the minutes? Because if you're going to start, if you're going to start quickly, I don't know if you even bother with starting Kemba at all because you probably don't play him beside each other. Small, especially not with the way that, you know, Tibbs likes to play defense. Kemba probably starts first off because he still has the ability. I agree. I agree. I was just saying trying to maximize him, but go ahead. He just has a problem, a severe problem with his knee. 
that he that the last few years in Boston se- severely hindered him. What do they say is the best stability, JJ? Availability. That's where I was getting. Avail- that's all I'm saying, brother. Availability is the best ability. The floor is yours. That's where I was getting at. So, listen, if you want to get the best out of Kemba, you probably have to load manage him at this point. Have him sit out a few games. Remember in 2014 when, when D-Way had those knee problems that he could basically, he couldn't play back-to-backs? Right, I agree with you. And that was kind of where I was going with it. So you're saying, though, just more of an inter intermittently spliced throughout the season, sit him a game here, sit him a game there, as opposed to my theory, which is manage his minutes across the entirety of the season, but still start him. You're saying still start him, just pull him for a game. I'm saying play him as a reserve role and less minutes across the entirety. You just, you think that he'll still be managed just in a different way. Listen, as much as, as I hate to say this, he's got the name. Knicks fans love him. If you don't start him, yeah, it's going to be a mutiny. They're going to burn that place down. I agree. Okay, that's enough. You got it. I agree with you. Can't you see Rob Schneider pulling up to the front of MSG? You can do it! Knicks fans are going to be angry if he doesn't start. And again, as I mentioned, he has the ability. It's just the availability that he needs to improve on. Now, on to the fifth seed of last season, unless you want to... And sticking with the, yeah, sticking with the theme of small guards... Exactly. We're going to the fifth seed of an Eastern Conference finalist, the Atlanta Hawks, coming off a surprising playoff run in which they they went to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in six years since 2015. That was the last time they were there. LeBron James and the Kelly Cavaliers smoked them. Oh, my God. I mean, like, Atlanta, like, Atlanta just, like, Every time they go to sleep, every time the basketball team closes their eyes, they should see, like, just, like, you know, LeBron James with, like, you know, the wrestler, the Undertaker's theme music, ding, just the bell. Like, you should see LeBron James in your nightmares because he's literally kept you from achieving greatness for so long in any event. Yeah, I mean, that's, hey, that's what great players do. They uh, they just they just create a monopoly on success on your on their respective conference, as we saw with the Raptors for why was it two, three, three straight seasons? Yeah, man, straight spanking them. I mean, now we just gotta hope we can keep Trey Young from doing that to the rest of us. Yeah, maybe he's got way more competition this season. Now, the Hawks. Basically, not a lot. They just a lot of guys returned, except they their big addition was maybe Gorgie Dieng. Yeah, if you wanna if you wanna talk about guys that they brought in just that weren't there, um, you probably go Gorgie Jane. But I would say that their big addition was just keeping John Collins. Was there ever a doubt that he was gonna leave though? Unless somebody they they there were some there were some contract disputes, they ended up settling for five years, one hundred and twenty five. Right. And I think that was the whole thing. Because they had, had those disputes, I think if somebody had just went an inch above twenty five, he would have taken it. Because he probably did feel a certain level of disrespect. If you were going to give me the five for 25 anyway, what took you so long? I don't know. It's, he's, he basically got five for 125 for a $25 million average salary. Right, that's what I meant. Five for 20, like 25 a year over five years. It's like, you know. And he also brought back Lou Williams. You have to mention that because he was a guy that a lot of us had, had on the tip of our tongue. And I think he could have helped us. Um, so you got Lou Williams, Solomon Hill, as we mentioned, Gorgie James. Solo. And, he, 
they didn't come here. He, he stayed with them. Yeah, I know. Solo the Heat legend, man. Shout out to Solo Hill. Why do we love Solo so much? I don't know. Either way, man, he just seems like a guy that's willing to give his all um, whenever he does. But plus, he just seems like a cool dude. Speaking of John Collins, though, in Atlanta, does his return necessarily... Now, for me, it, here's my theory on Collins. I think that they probably sold him on Clint Capella making him better when, in fact, Clint Capella's presence has costed him money and made him worse because you get paid off of team success and individual success. Team success is wins and losses. Individual success is stats. Can we agree? Sure. Okay. So when you're talking individual success being stats, John Collins' main stats will probably be points, rebounds, three-point percentages on a decent amount of attempts. Can we agree? And field goal percentage. Absolutely. Maybe even a block shot or two. Well, here's the thing. With Clint Capella there, not only do you have less rebounds, which affects all your rebound numbers, not only are you not the guy mainly guarding the rim, which is going to affect your block numbers, not only are you a guy that's going to take more outside shots, which is going to affect your field goal percentage, but now you're a guy that's forced to try to do more of your eating from the perimeter, which inevitably is going to affect your overall shooting numbers. I mean, it's just no way to look at it where Clint Capella's presence didn't hurt John Collins. Now, the Hawks won because they got to keep both of them for a tolerable number while being able to still pay, you know, Trey Young what it's going to cost to pay him. But at the end of the day, I think that hurt him. And I don't know if they're ever going to be able to fully maximize that situation with both of those guys there. So it's probably just an exercise in redundancy, but somebody was going to pay him. If you're Atlanta, you can't lose him. And especially if it's only going to take 25 a year. I don't think that Atlanta got better, but I don't think that they got worse. If everybody continues to develop and get better, and you also have to include the fact that Hunter didn't play for a lot of the year, and he's a beast. But basically, not by addition, they didn't get any better. You just think that if they're going to get any better, it's going to be through development and the return help of DeAndre Hunter. And the continued development of Cameron Reddish and Trey Young, of course. Agree, agree, agree. Well, the thing about Cam Reddish, though, is, is he going to be there? Because we've heard a lot of chatter, you know, since the season ended about him potentially not even being there. Right, because he's another guy who's going to be due for an extension next offseason. So that roster is going to get a whole lot expensive soon because Trey Young's extension kicks in next season. Who, by the way, his extension should be worth could be worth up to $207 million. I, th I believe, I think it was worth it was worth it because he's one of the premier offensive talents in the league. Oftentimes get, get compared to Luka. Those guys will be forever inter interlinked with each other due to their draft day trade. And they're both, they're both point guards. But I think he was worth it. So the, to, to quickly mention your point, Kenneth, that Cam Reddish might not be there next offseason. Who, which team do you think gets him? I think he will be a, he's a perfect Spurs player. But I, I just don't see why would you trade him. But then again, ownership. I agree with you, man. He's a big guy who can do a lot. Um, he's a legit 6'9". Like you said, perfect Spurs guy. But you trade him because you can get something for him. And let's just be frank. At their peaks... Him and RJ, him and DeAndre Hunter are going to be the same guy. That's what you're hoping for when you drafted them, that they're both going to be big, versatile 
wings that can do a lot, defend, handle, and you get something for them now as opposed to having to exercise the redundancy and you can't play them and properly develop it and then you end up losing them for nothing. They just made their choice. They like DeAndre Hunter better. That's all that is. And I don't think, and also, quick, quickly mentioning, I don't think ownership is going to have one. You're going to have, you already have one max extension, which could potentially turn into a super max, as I mentioned with Trey Young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John Collins, not quite, not quite the max extension, but close to it. Clint Capella. Those, so those are three contracts. I was about to say, he had a deal before he came over from Houston. But you're also, you know what you're not thinking of? They're going to pay Herder. They're going to pay him. Oh, I forgot to mention that as well. You also got to pay him. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna pay him. And he's a, and he's a, he's a $20 million, he's an Evan Fournier contract kind of guy. You feel me? He's going to get at least 20 a year. At least. I don't know if he's going to get 20, but he's going to get more than 15. Hey, bro, I put it, if... If he if he didn't play beside Trey Young, he'd be a twenty five million dollar a year guy. So I think you have to pay him simply to show him that hey, we realize we realize you're better than you are stats wise. But because you have to allow Trey to be great, you have to take a step back, sort of like CJ and Dame. Even though you know CJ and Dame mesh well, CJ could be at least one and a half times the player if he didn't play with Dame. You feel what I'm saying? Yes. I have oh, I I've been recently thinking about that and how 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 his stats would look and how his recognition would be if CJ McCollum did not play alongside Demi Lillard, but we could talk about that next week. That's that's another thing for next week. See, I love it when we do this, but this is why I tell you, you know, we got things to talk about, JJ. But yeah, man, so this is what I want to ask you, because you brought it up earlier. With Trey Young's advancement to as far as he went in the Eastern Conference playoffs, um, in that attachment to Luca that we've spoken of, does his success, so to speak, in this past playoffs pull him a little bit closer to Luca? Because for a while there, um, it just looked like Luca was widening the gap and continuing to run off with it. Agreed? I don't know, maybe I don't know how much could you can possibly close it to one of the best young talents this league has ever seen so that, well that's what i'm asking so trey young's playoff success or playoff run from this past year doesn't do anything for you on that argument on that on that argument i would say no on the on the other on other arguments like his place among the league he's firmly in the top 20 for me Oh, no, he's definitely solidified himself as a superstar. I agree. He cemented himself as a superstar, but as far as the him versus Luca argument, that's not even a question anymore, and there's nothing he can do to catch up. I would say so. I don't know if you would say the same. No, I'd agree with you. I just wanted to know how you felt. I mean, it's just clear Luca's a better – Luca's a generational talent. Like, you got LeBron James and Luca. Like, they're, they're close to the same level. The only thing that separates LeBron James is that he was – a much better athlete. If Luca was a slightly better athlete, you're talking MJ, LeBron, Luca. And Luca still has a chance to get there. It's just that he has to continue to allow his game to blossom because he doesn't do the stuff that's going to put him on our cereal boxes yet. You know what I mean? Like when LeBron James and Michael Jordan came into the league, they were jumping from the free throw line. Great like people that know what they're looking at and basketball minds and diehard basketball fans can see that Luca 
is, you know, Larry Legend-ish. Can see that he's 50-point, triple-double type average guy. We can see that. But the casual fan, because he doesn't dunk a lot or because he isn't, you know, doing those eye-popping things, the casual fan won't hear about him until two or three years from now when he literally is the face of the league is all I'm saying. Well, to me, his eye-popping things are his is a ridiculous amount of skill, the way he can read the floor at such a young age. You're a diehard fan, though, JJ. I literally just addressed that. I know. You're a diehard, though. That's eye-popping for us because we know how hard it is. But to the casual person who doesn't look at basketball until they see it on SportsCenter, until somebody dunks from the free-throw line, that's not eye-popping. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Also, quickly, on the Atlanta Hawks, Brandon Goodwin seems like he's not going to come back. Now, why do I mention Brandon Goodwin? Because that man, there was a particular game against the Hawks where that man cooked us. And I mean, he cooked the hell out of the Miami Heat in that game. There was no Trey Young, no Clint Capella, and we still lost that game because of Brandon freaking Goodwin. So, you want to comment on that, Kenneth? Or or is the pain too much for I got you there? I got, I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say about that game. Because you know what? You know what ended up happening? That's the reason why we played the Bucks in the first round. And that's the reason why we got swept. If we could have won that game, ooh, the Knicks or the Hawks, and we'd still be playing right now. I digress. I'm done. Do you want to talk about us, JJ? Or since we talked so much about us in that sixth seed, do you want to move on to the uh, seventh seed from last year? I mean, this is, this is a Miami Heat podcast. We already addressed the Miami Heat. We can quickly talk about our guy, Omer Yurtsevin. Yes, sir. Yurtsevin is a beast, right? I mean, we finally got him signed to a standard deal after his showing in the California Classic where he just obliterated the opponents. I think he averaged the double-double high, double-double, um, double-digit rebounds, high double-double in like 25, 26, 27 points. Definitely a great signing for us. We have been a team that has, you know, dealt with, as I mentioned earlier, um, a lack of offensive ability at times over the last couple of seasons. And I feel like we just continue to add guys that's going to help make sure that that's not a problem. The culture is the culture. So we're always going to give maximum effort. We're always going to do the little small things. And we're always going to play defense, especially great team defense with the guys at the top, Jimmy, Bam, and Kyle. But I just feel like now with the guys we've added, Omer Yurtseven, like at the top of that list, we we should now be a team where we don't, deal with as many offensive difficulties as we have in the past. What say you? I think on the offensive end, listen, the addition of a real, a, re, a really good point guard to the starting lineup, that will help alleviate a lot of our offensive issues. Offensively, I'm not so keen on this team. I'm really keen on them defensively, though. I want to talk, uh, But I want to talk to you about, some, about something, Kenneth. This team, as we have mentioned previously, is full of dogs and veterans, tough, gritty veterans. Combine that with the culture. And I think Omer, he might not see a lot of playing time this year, although if he does see playing time this year, oh boy, that's going to be something really good for the future because he, with his ability to shoot and his ability to, to rebound the ball, that could be the front court of the future for us. We've got to get our, our own, we could get a, a Twin Towers down here in Miami. So, Omer's, Omer's presence are all alongside those tough veterans, a champion in P.J. Tucker, and a champion as well in, in Kyle Lowry. That thinks, I think that's going to help him immensely in his development. And the fact that he got a standard deal helps his confidence as well. 
because now he doesn't have to be fighting for a roster spot. He knows he has a roster spot for him, and that allows him to I agree to to focus on this on his development. And we also get to focus on developing him, and we don't have to worry about anybody scooping in and stealing, which was something that really pleased me about the two-way deal because, well, about the standard deal, I'm sorry, because if you'll notice, we signed him at the end of last season. So we had him on a standard contract and we had an option on him this season, which we declined. So technically, although he still played with us in the summer league, um, which shows a faith and belief in us because we showed faith and belief in him last year, he was technically a restricted free agent playing with us in the summer league. So just the ability to get him signed and locked into a deal, man, I was happy we did that because that took him out of play for other teams to kind of hit on what you were, you know what I mean, tying the ball around there. Yeah, exactly. I don't want a team like the Raptors poaching him and putting them, putting him through their development program. And- I mean, because you know Masai was kind of like salivating, just watching him, like hoping we didn't sign him, right? You know he was doing that, right? Right, because they don't have a center for now or the future. And if he had gotten through that Raptors development program, <laughs> Masai Ujiri was going to Right, be- he'd be killing us for the next 10, 15 years. That's all. He'd just be killing the heat instead of playing for us. So I'm glad he's here with us. So very, I think we addressed everything with the Heat last last week. Very quickly, where do you think we stand in the Eastern Conference? I firmly believe that we could go as high as a number two seed, and our floor being a a six seed. A floor being like everything goes wrong, right? A, right. a bunch of guys miss games, and the, the the addition some guys don't pan out as as well as we would have liked. What do you, what see you? I, I think our floor is a fifth seed. I think our ceiling is a one seed, man. I mean, like I said, we could mess around and be the best team in the regular season. Because of the style of play that we're going to have, it's always going to be defense first and defense travels. But like I said, I think at worst we'll be a fifth seed because of also the talent and the style of play. Like, we're, like there are going to be nights where we're not going to be able to make shots. But again, now we have an extra couple of guys to be able to hit those shots for us. But I think that in addition, with the additions we made, our defense will just be so lethal and legit and locked tight that it'll be tough to beat us on any given night. Okay. I can see it. Now, very quickly, let's address, I, I don't know if you saw, but Goran Dragic is having a tough time with Raptors fans because he basically dissed the Raptors and in a TV interview. He was wearing a, a Culture t-shirt. Still love you, Goran. I love you forever. He was wearing a culture T-shirt, and he said that Toronto, he didn't really want to be in Toronto. They're not that basically saying that he didn't. They were not his preferred destination, which, again, we kind of knew, but kind of saying that on live TV. Look, man, he wants to go to Dallas, plain and simple, and he's pulling all of the strings he can to get to Dallas. We love it. Like, I hope that whatever happens, he, you know, plays his one year out and comes back to us on a good deal next year. But um, he right now, he wants to be in Dallas. It, it, you know, Toronto doesn't deserve him. Oh, I don't know. Deserving him? I've seen a lot of Raptors fans talking a lot of trash Look, to man, him. they were trashing him before he said that. That's why I say that. Just because they were losing Kyle Laurie, they went to trash and Goran, and that's disrespectful. We understand that you don't have to like Kyle leaving, but you don't have to trash Goran coming in. And that's why I said they don't deserve him, and that's why I stopped it there, period. All right. I agree with you. Now, moving on to the seventh seed, the Boston Celtics and Crickets. 
I don't think there's a lot to talk. I mean, listen, bro. Listen, bro. I know Celtics fans, right? So just as free agency is going on, you know what I mean? And everybody's doing their thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my Celtics friends like, you know, the, the little meme where the guy's kind of with the wide eyes, kind of curl mouth, looking around like, mm, I don't know. Like, that was me and my Boston Celtics friends because, bro, their big move was bringing back Amos Cantor. That was their uh, only move. You could that say was- their, other, their other big move was bringing Al Horford back. A noticeably old, I mean, a noticeably older and less mobile Al Horford. Yeah, I mean, does that really move the needle? No, not this version of Al Horford. Right, not the last. I'll put it to you like this. Let's be fair, JJ. Not the last version of Al Horford we see. Now we don't know if he comes back to Boston rejuvenated and ready to ball again. But the last version of Al Horford we saw, mm-mm. no, that that guy doesn't move the needle. No. And they also traded Tristan Thompson away, which again I don't think right. he was he was quite bad for them last year. So I guess the Celtics are just riding the power of the Jays. Yeah, and the Celtics are also in that Dame Lily in that Dame Lillard um thing. They're waiting on Dame Lillard or you know another domino to fall there, man. But I don't know, man. You 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 could be in a situation there where you could be waiting into oblivion. Probably. So where do you see them? I see them. I see a lot of people that are pretty high on them. I guess when you have those two guys, you always have a chance. Especially a guy like Tatum who could potentially jump into top 10 status if he continues to improve the way that he has been. But the rest of the roster, man, it's pretty uninspiring. You're going to have Marcus Smart playing point guard for you? Uh, I'm not sure that's the best. I agree, man. I agree. I mean, I feel like you don't lose the pieces they lose and think you're going to come back head and shoulders better. Listen, I'm really low on them. I see them at their best. They're a fifth seed. At their worst, they could be a play. Not Playing team seems harsh, but at their very, very worst, they could hey, be a playing team. I think they're going to be a seventh seed to play in team. That's their that's the, that's my realistic range for them. Seventh seed to play in team. I think they'll make it. But a play-in team at worst, seventh seed at best. I guess at the fifth seed, I'm, when I say best case scenario is Jason Tatum playing at an MVP level. And I mean scorching hot from being the player that we think he can be. And But realistically, if I had to pick a number, I think they're a seventh seed play-in team again. Here's the thing, man. I agree with you. Even if Jason Tatum plays nuts... Even if, if Jason Tatum hits his peak and JB hits his peak, I still think they're only a seven seed because they just don't have enough else. They don't have an, you know what I mean? And like, are they going to be able to give you 99 rating games, 82 out of 82 games a year? No, nah, that's asking a lot. I right. Was... And even, so, exactly. So let's say you give me half of those, right? So let's say you only give me half of those. Well, even in half of those games, you're still going to lose. Think about that. You know, asking that type of performance is only reserved for all-time greats. And maybe Jason and Jalen, maybe Jason reaches that point, but not not right now. Right, but that's, but, but, but exactly. And I wasn't saying that they're not capable. I was saying just thinking about it. Even with those performances, you're not guaranteed to win every game. So 
It's like, first of all, you have to hit that level. But then second of all, after hitting that level and sustaining it, you still have to win, which isn't guaranteed. So, look, bro, I think their peak, again, the seventh seed, they could bottom out and be as, you know, as low as a play-in team. So I think that's an interesting situation, but they didn't really get any better. Moving on to Washington, man. Um, Obviously, we, you know, Russell Westbrook to L.A., um, they brought in Spencer Dinwiddie. The Bradley Bill saga continues. He doesn't know what he wants to do. But, I mean, looking at what else they did, really, they just brought Raul Netu back. And Raul Netu was good for them last year, so I can't even be mad at that. Um, they brought him back and, like I said, Spencer Dinwiddie. But other than that, man, they didn't really do a ton else. Well, I think they got a – the return they got for Russell Westbrook was – Solid in terms of players. I yeah. think Kuzma can be. Yeah, I mean, well, see, here's the thing, though. I didn't mention that because I don't know. Do you think that all of those guys stay in Washington? At least if I were the GM, I would roll with those guys to start the season at least because that would make you a pretty deep team, in my opinion. Okay. Right, because okay. You, could, you could have a starting backcourt of Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal. Which is going to be a? I think it's going to be a really good backcourt. I think those two those two guys complement each other. Then you could start either you got you can choose between Cal Kuzma or KCP to start as a, are you starting small forward, or you could leave in Denny Afti Avdia or Rui Hachimura. Those two guys I think are going to be key for them if they yeah, want to make I, a. I like Denny and jump. Rui. I like Denny and Rui actually, but they're young though, man. That's all. But they can make a. Not a big jump, but they can make a, another jump, especially decent, Rui. Uh, yeah, Rui, because Rui took Rui has Rui has really developed. Rui has really I like Rui's development, but then you start asking yourself, Kuzma, Montrez, you know, where do you see those guys playing in? Thomas Bryant is still he didn't get injured, right? I think. No, Thomas Bryant he was injured last season, but he should be back, and he's another guy. You know what, man? I have forgot about Washington's. They're they're deeper than I remember. I I have forgot about some of their depth. So you make a good point. I think this team is really deep. I have yeah. Now, like now that you help me think about it, bro, they are they are pretty deep. After that Lakers trade, because listen, if they were gonna head back with Westbrook and Beal, this team I didn't really feel comfortable with them. But now that with that haul they got those two guys making a jump a, a improvement next season Thomas Thomas Bryant potentially being back as your starting center that you know that that's a solid playoff team in my opinion Montrez Harrell coming off the bench maybe going back be going back to a simplified role with with them and having having a playmaker like Avdia Beal or a Dinwiddie play with him at at all times that could really help them. So I think that could be, this could be a pretty good team. I would say their ceiling, I'm going to go ahead and ceiling being their absolute best case scenario. I'm going to say a four seed. I would say a little lower than that, maybe a six seed, but um, I could definitely see them six seed to play in. Yeah. And I was going to say their, their floor being the play in tournament. Yep. I definitely, but I definitely see them being in the play-in situation with this with this group. I think they can slightly avoid it. I think they 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 should avoid it. They could get in as a six seed or above. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Indiana. So Indiana didn't really have a ton going on. 
However, they did bring back TJ McConnell. Um, he got a nice little bag, four years and $33.6 million. Um, and they brought Tory Craig over from Phoenix, two years and $10 million. But no, they didn't really do anything crazy. Um, any other situation, man, was the they, 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 they lost. They lost Doug McDermott. They did lose Doug McDermott to the San Antonio Spurs. I, I remember that. They're, they're, other than that, I... yeah, I was about to say I didn't think they did anything else really crazy. I would say that the volatility in the coaching scenario was really that something that probably bothered them a lot last year, and they also didn't have TJ Warren. Right, TJ Warren missed uh, a couple of uh, a bunch of time. Yeah, I was about to say he missed quite a few, um, quite a few games last season. I mean, and and of course that's something that we noticed because we always look forward to the TJ Warren. Jimmy Butler matchup, which we didn't get a ton of last season there. So last season, he only played in four games. Wow. I didn't realize it was that he played so few games. Yeah, he only played in four games, and that's huge for them because arguably... He's probably their best perimeter scorer. But that's what I was about to say, and I was thinking about it because, you know, with the jump that Sabonis took last year, you're going to say he's their best player coming in. But prior to last season, TJ Warren was probably their best player. So, well, with that, with with Bubble Jordan, when he became Bubble Jordan, right? Last, you know last what I mean. Right. So you had two guys. One of their top two guys wasn't in the lineup for him um, most of last year. That that will hurt him. I think that with him back in the lineup and Tory Craig as a defender, you have to you know also put them back in that lower. Seventh seed to play in range. And Karis LeVert not missing time. Absolutely. I forgot about that addition, too. You actually, that actually goes up. If they get TJ Warren back, that's probably, with Karis LeVert, that's a sixth seed to play in, probably. Still another offseason where they're trying to solve the Sabonis-Turner front court. Right. If they want to move forward with those two, looks like it's not sustainable for long-term success. Is it really a question, though, J.J.? Is it really a question? If you had a choice, who are you picking? It should be easy. It's Domas, of course. Right, easy. It's it's totally an easy choice. So I don't think I think that's just a nuanced thing, letting them walk or getting some form. Um, but I don't think that's that hard of a choice. I think if you if you if you had to make a choice, it's obviously going to be Sabonis. Yeah, but they seemingly can't find takers that match their price point for Miles Turner. So I guess they'll just roll with it again. Right. Miles Turner was really good last season, and I, when he was healthy, was a defensive player of the year candidate. I guess it, we just got to see how they do with the coaching, and it all depends on health for them. I could see them as a playoff team. I could see them. I could also see them as out of the playing tournament. Absolutely, absolutely. But like I said, man, I think max sixty floor playing tournament. I think floor they could miss the playing tournament. Mm. Mm, I don't think that a healthy T.J. Warren, Karis LeVert, Demonis Sabonis. Because, um, keep in mind that Floor is like one of their their top guys. Who misses quite a bit of time. Okay, okay. Now if you now if you throw now, yeah, if you throw that in there, injury, somebody misses quite a bit of time. Then I agree with you. But let's say if all things are equal, if everybody's healthy and they're just bad, I think that if everybody's healthy, they're a playing team. At worst, somebody has to miss time for them not to make the play-in tournament. Taking into account that if one of them is, if if they're all healthy, they're just bad. They probably make the play-in, although they'll probably get smoked. Right, 
Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they just have too much talent, though. That's my thing. Let's take a look. So you want to talk about the Raptors? Yeah, I was about to say. Let's look at. Let's look at the. Um. Let's look at the last couple of teams here. We got Charlotte, Chicago, Toronto, Cleveland, Orlando, and Detroit. Um. Detroit got Kay Cunningham. That could, you know, make them. If, if he's a generational talent that everybody thinks he is, they could sneak up. But nothing's for certain there. Um. Charlotte, they have the ball. They have the ball brothers. I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to see Jello in summer league. You talked about Detroit without addressing our goat. What's the matter with you? Uh, I mean, well, here's the thing, man. Here's no, the, Kelly. Here's the, I was just about to say, here's the thing, man. I hate to see Kelly in a situation where he might not make the playoffs. And I get why Kelly chose Detroit, though. Do you, you know he that, is not making the playoffs. Exactly. So you want to know why Kelly chose Detroit? That bag. And also, he probably couldn't get traded. At the trade deadline. It's a rock throw from Canada, man. It's as close to Canada as he can get without actually being in Canada. Think about that. Also, I just, what, something I just mentioned that now I have has me thinking. He's a really tradable contract. Absolutely. If he balls out in Detroit, some contender is going to come calling Easy. at the trade deadline Easy. and they're going to snag him. And they're going to get. So you mean to tell me they basically signed him to a reasonable deal to flip him for a high draft pick? I think that's a smart team. That's a smart thing for a rebuilding team. I can't. I can't argue with you. I can't argue with you. Get us an asset that won't cost us a ton, and we'll flip him. Hmm. And he's a veteran. A guy that he is. That's a good. He he's that's a good veteran. And he's always and he's versatile. He's never read anything foot. negative again. Like you said, he's seven foot. He's gonna compete. He'll take a charge, and he can hit an open shot. I mean, what more you want? Right. I'm. I, you know what? I'm going to make a prediction. Some He's going to play really well in Detroit, and some contender is going to come calling. He's going to be a hot name in the trade market. We're going to see a lot of Walsh and Shams tweets about it. We're going to put up, we're definitely going to put up a little NBA on TNT sticky note about that one. Calvin, Kelly Olenek will be traded by the trade deadline. Okay, so we, we mentioned our GOAT. I didn't want to mention him because I didn't think he was going to make the playoffs, but that's an interesting note. Glad you made me mention him there because if he's going to get traded, he'll probably make the playoffs. Chicago, Toronto, Cleveland, Orlando. You really like what Orlando and Cleveland did in the draft. Um, as mentioned, Charlotte has the ball, brother, so they have some things coming up here. We're running up against the wall, but we do want to touch on two other things. Um, Chicago. I noticed you said that you weren't as high on Chicago as you was initially, and we all know the moves that Chicago's made by now. They've added DeMar DeRozan. They added Lonzo Ball. And basically, you know. They added they, uh, Alex Caruso Yeah, as well. they added Alex Caruso. You can't forget about the Caruso. I mean – Chicago, Lonzo Ball, DeMarzo Rosen, Alex Caruso, Tony Bradley from OKC. They brought back Javante Green, who's a guy from my hometown, actually. Woo, I see you. Um, they brought him back after they got him from Boston. So they didn't do anything um, outside of that too crazy. But I think Lonzo Ball, DeMarzo Rosen are just crazy enough to go with Zach Levine. Now, you said a sort of an I pre-show discussion that you weren't as high on them now as you were when the deal was first announced. So why so, JJ? I'm really concerned about how their defense looks. And maybe their offense, I think they're on offense, they'll be fine. They've got the, they've got the star power. Stars figure, figure it out. And, and Lonzo Ball, I feel like he's a really good, he's going to be good for them. And you, with Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine, you, you can figure some stuff out. Billy Donovan is a good coach. The defensive end, though, listen, Vucevic is strictly a drop guy. You you have to play him in drop. You can't have you can't switch. 
Then you have, so that re- leaves you with Patrick Williams and Lonzo Ball as your best perimeter defenders because Zach Levine, although Zach Levine, he, in the Olympics, he did show some, some defensive prowess. Maybe you have him try more on defense. DeRozan, he's a, he's a turnstile. He can't defend. So then you got your two best perimeter defenders in the lineup are Lonzo Ball and Patrick Williams. Now that's asking a lot out of Patrick Williams, if you ask me. You can maybe trot out a lineup with Caruso in there, but then you got to take one of the other guys out. So I'm really interested to see how they look because on defense, I think they're going to stink. On offense, they might be they might be good. But they also, hey, we thought that they were going to be really good on offense last season after the Vucevic trade, and they weren't. They lost a lot of games after that because their goal is to make the playoffs. And seemingly, they're accelerating the timeline with this offseason, with the, with their offseason acquisitions. Also, I really like that they, I really dislike, sorry, that they lost that young. I think he was so good for them last season. But I guess you had to do it if you wanted to add DeMar DeRozan. So I think those are my thoughts on the on the Bulls right now. I, I, oh man, I thoughts are completely opposite. First of all, defensively, I disagree with you. I do agree with you that those guys that you named aren't great defenders. And yeah, Zach Levine, he's very capable because he's super athletic. It's definitely a motivation and want to thing with him. He's too athletically gifted not to be a good defender if he doesn't want to. I think if somebody was, if he played for Miami, he'd be a good defender a great defender because he should be he's long he's athletic he's big he's quick twitch he should be a great defender um secondly i mean i agree with you when you look at him um when you look at vooch and when you look at DeRozan, neither none of those are elite defenders but you have two elite defenders in patrick williams and lonzo ball um and that's really all you need when you have guys four guys like that who can switch everything because here's the thing there's really going to be more than two guys on the offensive side that are just flat out elite like, if you look at teams with three guys, Milwaukee, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew, you can name some other guys with three people. Um, you know what I mean? But there's really going to be teams with more than two guys that you need to use your elite stoppers on. Everybody else, if you're just a body in front of them or at least putting up an effort, you can do a half-decent job. And I think when you're talking the lineup with Levine, DeRozan, Patrick Williams, Alonzo Ball, they can switch pretty much everything. There isn't a thing on the floor that they can't switch because all of them are pretty decently sized. All of them are quick enough to stay in front of a guy. And all of them have the athletic ability to be able to do the things that it takes to make the stops. It's just about will they be able to do it and will they want to. I completely agree with you on Boots. He's strictly dropped. But if you play that right, with those four guys out above them, they shouldn't be faced with too many situations where that's a hindrance to them because the other four guys can switch everything. Yeah, you're going to have that one situation where he has to step out a little further than he wants to, but that's when you tell one of your other guys, hey, you know his limitations. Recover, allow that man to fall back. I think the problem is going to be on offense because in order to get the best out of Levine, I want the ball in his hands. You talked about an Olympics. Their best ball in his hand guy, they operated best for me when Levine was controlling everything, when you allowed Dame to be a shooter. That's when they operated best for me. For me, if I have Levine on my team, I want the ball in his hands as much as possible. Well, in order to get the best out of DeRozan, whether that's in the mid post, in the post area like they did in San Antonio, or whether that's on the mid perimeter like they did in Toronto, um, he needs to rock in his hands. Hey, Lonzo Ball's a freaking point guard, meaning he needs to rock in his hands. Hey, Vooch might be your second best shooter. 
and he's a post guy, which means he needs the ball in his hands. There's so many continuity issues and spacing issues there, and there's only one ball. I mean, there's only one basketball, plain and simple. And all of those guys need the ball in their hand to be their best self. So that would be my issue, not so much defensively as much as it is offensively. And we just differ completely opposite on that. But I'm interested to see how it plays out because we both presented rather interesting cases. Right on. We did, did we talk about Charlotte? I mean, we talked about the ball, brothers, but what else do we need to say? I mean, I think that they're going to shoot themselves in the foot because they let Graham go. And I think that Graham um, was bigger for them than they allow him to be. I think they forced him out of the door too early. So we're going to see how that plays out. But did you have something specifically about Charlotte that you wanted to mention? Uh, they lost Monk. They added Kelly Oubre. And... Uh, oh, well, they're reportedly in talks with Laurie Markkinen. Oh, really? Now, Markkinen would be a big deal for them. Because I think Markkinen, I, I think Markkinen was improperly used in Chicago. Another one of those spacing and continuity issues, by the way. So then you can have, you can trot out a ball. I don't know who's going to be your starting shooting guard at this point. Jello, his, his brother. brother. Jello, oh. his brother. <laughs> Joe is not an NBA player. And do you, do you, do you, do you try to have a Lamella ball? Rozier, maybe? I think I'm missing somebody. You're, gonna, you're probably going to have to. You're probably going to have to start Rozier. Mm, I mean, they got Ish Smith. But he's a point, And, you know, they're not playing him above, you know, uh, Lamello, So... You got some interesting things going on down there in Charlotte, but I don't think that they did anything to really separate themselves either from the rest of the pack. I mean, because Ubre, he took the best available deal that was out there because he got undersold because of how they used him in Golden State. Um, when you talk about Monk, I heard a lot of people, you know, upset that he went to the Lakers. But I'm like, yo, when Monk is doing what makes you want him, he's a volume shooter who just so happens to hit a bunch in a couple of games. Well, if he's not getting a ton of shots, he can't be the monk that makes him so desirable. And I don't think he's going to get the looks in L.A. that makes him the guy that was able to murder us the way he did. I see it. I'm, I'm not sure what the Hornets, their starting lineup looks like. I'm interested to see how they do it. But uh, I just don't... Maybe it's that I'm I'm not watching them enough. Clearly, I don't watch a lot of a lot of Hornets games. You could maybe throw one of the Martins out there at the shooting guard, Caleb or Cody. But I, I mean, James. They drafted James Booknight. Right. So you have to imagine that he's going to see a lot of time at that two guard because now that we've discussed it, they don't really have a true option there. No. They got. They still got. At least they got one of the most important things is a franchise cornerstone in Lamelo Ball. There you go. There you go. There you go. So and Gordon Hayward is still. Gordon oh, Hayward proved he can still oh, contribute. That's what. And we, and, and, and we have to talk about that. But other than that, what else do they? You know what I mean? Like, do they have anything else? Because is Gordon Hayward? Is he a guy that really moves the needle still for you? I mean, under right circumstances, he does. Under right circumstances, for the right. Is, is that the Hornets, though? No. Right. 
I mean, for a championship contender needing a a third or needing a third option, piece, right? I'll like, give it to you. He'd be the perfect third piece, but not as a number two guy right now. No, not right now. I'm interested to see how the Hornets do. I'll, I'll, they're they're going to be fun because when Lamelo Ball is on your is your point guard, and when you have a team running in transition like that, most of the time they're going to be fun. And Terry Rozier, entertaining. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I don't know if it's if it's his jump shot or whatever, but he's got this quality to him that makes him really entertaining. Very quickly because we we're, re- we're really. Way past our absolutely. We got so we got so into talking about this free agency. I bet you're going to mention Toronto, aren't you? I mean, that's the last thing. That's the last thing we got to talk about, right? I guess we made a we got we made a trade with them. They got they got our very own Goran Dragic. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. They which they don't deserve, and they got they also got Precious Achua, who um I think is gonna really benefit from going through the Raptors development program. I do too. They brought back I Gary. Too. I think that's going to be good for him. They brought back Gary Trent, Cam Birch. They brought in Sam Decker. And they lost Kyle Lowry, which is huge for them. But they drafted Scotty Barnes. As we mentioned earlier in the previous episode, they have an interesting front court. They, they, have, they can have interesting front court combinations involving Ananobi, a a personal favorite of mine, not Miami Heat favorite. Yeah, he's a That's man crush, JJ. We get it. He's your man crush. I get it. Not a man crush, but he's one of my favorite players outside the Miami Heat. Pascal Siakam, who has been in trade rumors recently, Scotty Barnes and Precisa Chua. Most of those guys are kind of the same. They're kind of the same build. Although Scotty Barnes showed well it's summer league, right? But he showed a lot of in that a lot in that first game. And his versatility could certainly ben- benefit them in the future. They're betting that their development program really, really does something for him. Right. He's more than just the defender you thought he was. Exactly. And if it pays off for them, boy, they got a player in their hands. But I don't know if he uh, I don't know. So very do you want to say anything else about the Raptors? No, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm disgusted with the Raptors right now because I don't like the way they're treating Gordon Dragic. So I'm just gonna you know um, say what I need to say. I'm just here so I don't get fined. I think that does it then. So thank you for listening to to this week's episode of Three Hundred Five Culture Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram at 305 Culture Pod. And where can they follow you at on Twitter, JJ? Oh, you can follow me at JJ Rivera NBA. And where can I follow you, Ken? Oh, you can follow me at K underscore said underscore K Q U E. That's K underscore said K. Right. So if you could please leave a short review and a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it as it helps the show grow. Let's. Keep watching this summer league action, which has been very entertaining so far. Go, I should. It will, I would be remiss if we mention Marcus Gary. Man, Marcus sign Gary, the, I mean, sign, just sign in, balling. Sign into the two-way contract. That man is heat culture personified. So, thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye bye.